All right, everybody. So did you guys have any other questions to put in or no? Okay. So the way this will kind of work is um, I'll just, you know, dig my hand in the box. And if there is a, a question that um, I'll just choose one out in any random order. If um, I'm going to do my best to answer the question in accordance with what God's word says, because we believe that God's word is sufficient for life and godliness that it, it can provide clear answers for the types of things that we have to deal with in life. And if I can't, then I'll just be honest about that and say, you know, I don't really know an answer to that. Um, if, you know, it doesn't have to just be me talking as well. If, um, if my answer to a question spurs on a new question, you can raise your hand and we could discuss and we could talk. Or if it, if it brings to light another question, um, my answer, if my answer does, then we could keep going from there. It doesn't have to just stop at that point. But, um, that's basically how it will go. And I don't like, there's still a lot of questions here. Hopefully Lord willing, we'll be able to look at all of these tonight and hopefully it'll be helpful to you guys. So, because again, you know, when we preach verse by verse through a book, sometimes the questions that might be on your heart and your mind in that time might not be answered, but um, this is a good opportunity to deal with those. So let's pray first and ask the Lord to bless our time and then we will start. Our Father, you are holy and good, and there is none like you. You are all wise, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we thank you for giving to us the mind of Christ, that we might understand spiritual things. We know that we couldn't truly understand who you are and, and how to live in this world apart from you giving us knowledge, for we look at man who is in rebellion to you, and we see the way that they live. Um, and is totally opposed to you and in ways that are harmful. And we know that if not for your sovereign grace in our life, that we would be in that same sort of situation. So we pray, Lord, tonight that you would impart to us understanding, that you would help us to not be deceived, that you would make us to be discerning, that you would help us to trust your word uh, and as your full revelation to us for all that we need to know how to live in a way that would be honoring and glorifying to you. We thank you for the things that we learn from creation as well, yet we know that creation isn't sufficient to tell us uh, about your holiness and about the, the inner workings of your law inside our heart. And so we pray simply, God, that you would be merciful to us tonight for Christ's sake and that you would help us to have your word brought to memory that we might have answers for the questions that are on our hearts and in our minds. And we pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first one. Okay. Um, so Henry actually wrote his name on this one, but it's, it's how many miracles were recorded in the Bible. And I'm sure somebody actually knows the answer to this. You might be able to Google that, actually, but I do not know the answer to that off of the top of my head. Yeah, that would be quite a task. I think it should also depend, like, you know, like, what's your definition of miracle, too? Because, like... Maybe you would just think that miracles are the things like, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea, the plague. Like, would you count, like, Korah and his men when they got swallowed up? Would that be counted as... Miraculous. Yeah, I mean, an act of God. So, yeah, I think there... I do have a book in my my office that talks about all of the messianic miracles that were done to like to testify to christ in his office of prophet 
and then also the apostolic ones, but I don't know what the number is. Safe to say it, it's probably a lot. Did you find anything online? No, not. This should be, Henry, your dissertation topic on the, how many miracles are in the Bible. But safe to say there are miracles. Maybe one thing we could say, at least, and be happy about is that we do affirm there are miracles in the Bible. There are Christians today, people who profess to be Christians, that want to say, oh, those miracles didn't really happen. Those are just what people perceived uh, back then, and they're not true. But a, a, that's a bad way to look at what the Bible says. Because if you think about uh, Jesus' his office as the Messiah and the Redeemer, it was testified to by the miracles that he did. Right? He, would, he would chide those people who didn't believe that he was the Messiah, even though he was raising the dead and healing the blind and causing the lame to walk. Because he did those things as part of his messianic uh, ministry to testify to his office. So miracles are absolutely true. They are recorded in scripture. They do still happen today. Every time a person who is gets saved, that's miraculous. A person goes from being dead in their sins to being alive in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2 talks about that. But there aren't people who walk around today with the gift of performing miracles like the apostles did because those were for that time period of testifying to their ministry as they were laying the foundation of the church. What's your best guess? My best guess. I saw something I saw was that there there was 83 Old Testament ones and and 80 New Testament ones. But then another site said 120. Okay, so... I I think part of it does follow what Jonathan says. How do you define what a miracle is? Well, that's even interesting in itself, right? So 83... In the old, 80 in the new, let's say that's a, a rough estimate. I was going to say, especially yeah. yeah, well, it's not as much as you would then maybe think. And that could also testify to the reality that, you know, miracles aren't super common. They're miraculous. They're supernatural. And I think sometimes, you know, Christians, they, they want to see a miracle so bad. But the reality is that they were few and far between. Like when Moses saw God in the burning bush, how much time spanned before you know the next big thing would happen? It, it wasn't a continual thing, but they're meant to glorify the Lord. Absolutely, it's supernatural. Jonah and the fish. Yeah. Every time a child is born. What's that? Would you catch it every time a child is born? A child being born isn't really miraculous. It is wow. natural. Yeah. Anti-baby, I got a lot of babies. That's why he's like, yeah, who cares? He's got like 14 kids. It's not growing from nothing. It's not growing from nothing. Growing from the ball back. So Adam and Eve were certainly miraculous. Eve, they were both born not from natural generation. But babies today are born of natural generation. I think that we might be sentimental to say, oh, your baby's a miracle. Well, maybe in the sense that, like, oh, I have a friend who, whose baby they thought was going to be dead, and that baby was born alive, and she's still doing good today. So that, in that sense, it's miraculous. But I don't know that I'm so – I personally am not so sentimental that I would say every baby is a miracle. <laughs> Sorry. Dang. Do not come to me for sentimentalism. <laughs> Yes, you know, <laughs> I heard on Friday 
Yes, I go to Planned Parenthood because those are babies made in the image of God. So we stand in front of Planned Parenthood and we do ministry. All right, anything else on that? <laughs> Can we move on? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, another. We'll save this one. Was it Caleb's? Was it political? Okay. How do we know if God is always looking out for us? So that's a good question. We kind of have to think, too, about what do you mean by is God always looking out for us? Uh, We know, for one, that God knows all things, that there's nothing that can be hidden from God, his word tells us. He sees all things. Uh, what was that verse? He says that uh, even before, I mean, he, all things happen according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. He says that uh, he declares the end from the beginning. So everything happens according to God's plan. So, of course, we say that God is always looking out. He knows all things. But looking out for us seems to me to mean something else. Like he's, it seems to me, at least, I could be wrong, but it seems like the question is one ask is God always caring for us? And we have to, and I would say yes, as long as we define what the us means. We're not just meaning all people in existence at all, but I'm speaking specifically of those people who are Christian, those people who are born again, those people who are looking to Christ for salvation and the, the forgiveness of their sins. Because Romans 8, 28 tells us, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that means even when something bad happens, what you might call bad in your life, it's something that God is working together for good in your life. But it's only notice, it's only for those who love God and are called out according to his purpose. Um, this is not just a simple black and white thing to understand though as well because Ephesians 2 is very true. It just says, by, um, by nature, we were all children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So before you were a Christian, you were truly an enemy of God, like Romans 8 says. And so did the things that happened in your life before you were a Christian, was that God looking out for you? Or was that God simply allowing bad things happen to you as a form of the curse that you're in because of Adam? Well, to me, it's not super clear because in one answer, it's yes. But in another answer as well, if you are going to be a Christian, it's because you are, as Ephesians 1 says, for you that you are chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. So even the things that happen in your life leading up to your salvation, those are God's means of directing you to him. Think of the Apostle Paul. Uh Still, you know, in his Pharisaic culture, and he was uh, a, a a Hebrew Pharisee, and he was persecuting Christians. And he's going on the road to Damascus to go hunt and find more Christians to put them in jail and possibly uh, put them to death. And on the way, while all that's happening, you know, he was just before that, he had attended to Stephen the, one of the deacons who after he gave this whole account of uh, Israel's history and covenantal relationship with God was stoned to death. 
and he was there and they threw his Stephen's coat at, at the, at Paul's feet or Saul, Paul, Saul, same exact person. Um, from there he goes to Damascus and on the road to Damascus to go hunt more Christians, God meets him and, you know, his horse falls over and he reveals himself to him and he becomes a believer at that point. He becomes a Christian there soon thereafter. And so would we say then that the evil things that was happening in the life of Paul before that, that was God directing him as well, getting up to the point. But before a person is saved, we just don't know if it's being meant for their good or not. And then you toss in the idea that every person does get general blessing. Yeah, we might call it, well, and that's difficult. We might call it like common grace. Uh, theologians have called it common grace for a long time. You might say, if you don't like that term, you might say that it's just a kind of providence from God. If you want to leave grace only for those who are saved. Because grace, if you really define grace, it's it's good that um, comes at Christ's expense or it's undeserved favor, if you want to be more general, I guess. So, but even in that, like, so if you think about it, and this is interesting, Steve, so some person, some people might get, quote, common grace, but that might be a means to their eternal destruction because they're just so comfortable in life that they never see the need to repent. And so, you know, they might think that, oh, God has been so gracious to me. Look, I have this fat, big old house. I've got all these cars. I have all this, you know, money in the bank. And we would probably call that common grace. Look, he's not suffering. He's got good health. But if he doesn't know the Lord, then what good is that? All right. So it's hard to say, is that God looking out for you or not? That's a good question. It just, it needs a lot of nuance. And as Christians, we have to be able to make distinctions and stuff. Anything else? Move on? Okay. Why does the Bible have different versions? So that's a good question too. So I, most of the verses that I know that I've even been saying tonight have been from the English Standard Version. What kind of, do you guys, what's, what version do you guys use at Iglesia? Okay. The King James Version was the the Bible that I first like really fell in love with by God's Word in. Like I, I have an old one that was given to me. But then, I'm, yeah. But um, I don't read out of that translation anymore. So that's the translation. There's the the New American Standard. Uh, the There's the New King James Version. There's, there's so many. Um, there's and so there's a lot of you know I I guess I don't want to use all my time to tonight talk about all the different variations but why are there more versions because people want because people care about God's word and they want to get it into the into the hands of people and have it be readable so it's a little bit more complex than that because you know maybe some people's motives aren't so good maybe they're just wanting to make money off people as well and there are some translations that are really bad that you shouldn't use King James version is good. Uh, ESV is, is good as well, but the reason why there's so many translations is because there's so many, and part of it has to do as well with the different um, languages that people have. So it's translated from Hebrew and Greek into the common tongues of the people, and so that people can know God's word, and then from knowing God's word, know God, and and hopefully uh, you know glorify Him in that. Adam, does Joel see have his own translation? 
I, I would not know if Joel Osteen has his own translation. I would assume he reads from the NIV or the NLT, if I had to guess. That's would be my guess by him, but I, I don't know at all. Um, he probably shouldn't because I don't think I see Superman. He doesn't. Um, I don't know. He reads the Bible a whole lot either. So. He knows a lot of stories. He knows he stories. Went to Sunday school. Yeah, <laughs> saw the felt board. Yes, Sabrina. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. Um, so there, I'll name two. So there's one that was more popular for a long time. It's called the Message. And so the Message Bible, it's a paraphrase. So that means it's not like. So like the King James Version, the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, those are what's called like a word-for-word -word translation. So so when you translate a Bible, it's not like a one-guy thing. It's like a team of like 50 scholars, and they're looking at other translations, and all, there's all these different manuscripts, and they're trying to choose the best word. A good translation goes – translates from the original, from the Greek or the Hebrew, then into whatever language they're wanting to do. Um, whether it's English, Spanish, Russian, whatever it is. And so it's when it's word for word, that's the best. Then there are some Bible translations that are more of like what's called thought for thought. And that's, you can get a little bit iffy there because how can you express a thought differently than it was initially meant to be expressed? And then you have Bibles that are again, they're called the message, which is a paraphrase, which will tries to say things in such a way that the ones who are translating it think will be helpful, but really what they're doing is they're changing what the Word of God actually says. And so there's another one that's similar to that same sort of idea that was put out by the people that are from Bethel, like up north of us in Reading, and it's called the Passion Translation. And so it's supposed to be really passionate, but I mean, again, let God's Word be God's Word. We don't need to make it passionate where it's not supposed to be like really passionate. Yeah, it's passionate enough. So you can say that whenever anyone preached that glitter rained down from the sky. I, I don't know. I mean, they did. They do say that, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the glory of the Lord. They say so. But yeah, so passion message, and you know, not everything in the message is bad. I'm not trying to say that, and probably the same thing for the passion as well too. But again, we, we want, I want at least to know what God said. Not really what some group of people are interpreting of what God said. I want to know what He said. And so, there are people that do that too. That's really bad. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't know of a Bible that's like that. I mean, you could think of maybe like the Watchtower Bible, where they take certain words out to make Jesus seem like a man. That's the Bible the Jehovah Witnesses use. But I wouldn't really consider that a Bible even at that point. Um, Not even trying. Yeah, or in history past, there was a guy named Marcion who would cut out like the miracles of the Bible because they're hard to believe. Or you have guys today like Andy Stanley who say, oh, well, you just don't really need the Old Testament at all. Or you have a – what was the guy who was one of the founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin? He did the same sort of thing where he took the miracles out of the Bible and tried to make his own version out of that. But when you do that type of stuff, you're in trouble. I mean the end of Deuteronomy and the end of Revelation both say – do not add or remove from this word. You know. So I so again, I would go with a more word for word translation. Anything else? Good question.
How was your day? It was good. Okay. This is a hypothetical question. I'll entertain it still. <laughs> what if all the female animals on the ark never had babies? Then, then they would all be extinct. We'd be dead. Right. There'd be no other animals. Possibly. So, well, we'd be we'd all be the, yeah, we'd all have we all eat those. Uh, what are those hamburgers called at like Burger King? Uh, Beyond Meat. Beyond meat. Oh, weird. So it tastes maybe, like a crappy burger. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of miracles, the, if you think of all the things that have to do with the ark and understanding as well that the judgment of, at the ark and the salvation that was provided all point to gospel realities of what Christ would do. There is a lot of miraculous things in that, right? I mean, how do you bring two animals of every kind to the ark and then you keep them alive in that ark during that time period and they go off? Yeah, so there's a lot. So the reason why the females had babies is because God was you know, providentially working through all of that to bring about his will. Next question. All right, so why would someone put such gory things in Judges? So we just finished Judges. Um, yeah, because it has... Bible is graphic. The Bible tells the truth about what happened. And so, and we, for one, we want to think about, like, who do we mean by why would someone put this in Judges? Because... It's God that put in Judges, right? Remember one of the things that I always said about through Judges while we preach through it is that it spans a history of 300-ish plus years, but it's only 21 chapters long and only tells the accounts of a few people's lives. So the Holy Spirit inspired probably Samuel uh, to put those things in there specifically when there could have been many other things that could have been put in there to tell about history. But the reason that those things are all in there is because they were alluding to the problem of sin in the world and the Savior who is Jesus who would be able to eradicate the penalty of sin in the life of all those who love him. So there are gory details in Judges. Have you girls read through Judges before? A little bit. There are some pretty shocking you know, events that happen. Um, but the thing about judges is it never makes them seem good. It, it you know, as a matter of fact, there's judgment because of them. You see the problems that comes out of it as well. Wait, there's judgment in judges. <laughs> see how that works? Yes. Wow. Satisfactory answer. Moving on. Um, okay. How old are dinos, and which is the best one? Well, obviously. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was going to say. This sounds like a question my my son would have. Her. You should ask your brother, Ollie. Here. Um, well, what's the best dinosaur? T-Rex. That's the one that... Um, are you bad mouthing T-Rexes? No, I'm not. She okay. totally was. Are you honest right now? She clearly was. 
I heard a. I heard a pastor um, Jeff Durbin say that you know it could be very well. He said you could possibly have like a pet Tyrannosaurus Rex in the new heavens and the new earth. There are going to be animals there. They're not going to be. I'm not promising. I look at you see how I do you see how I frame that? I heard Pastor Jeff Durbin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't say that myself. I don't know. There are animals in the new heavens and earth. Um, the question about the age of dinosaurs is interesting because that's a debate that Christians have. There are some people who are, are Christian or trusting in Christ, professing that, and they'll say the earth is, you know, millions and billions of years old. Others will say that it's very young, 6,000 years at, at the most. And so. 6,000 years at the least is what I heard. 10,000 years. Yeah, there's some. The 10,000 is also another range, but the 6,000 is based off of adding up the genealogies and also a kind of like weird, chiliastic comparison of a where where God says um, a, one day is like a thousand years in the Lord in a Second Peter, and so each day then a thousand years um, for each day after that. So anyways, but that's getting complex. So a dinosaur is either then you know, roughly 6,000 years old, or it could be who knows how long, how, how old, because once you start, once you affirm old earth type stuff, there's really no solid science that can be proved and verified for anything else. So, you think made it on I'm, I'm a young earth person, for the record, huh? You think they made it on the ark? I, my theory is that, because if they made it on the ark, then you would potentially see dinosaurs after the flood, right? So my... Working theory is either that God never had dinosaurs come onto the ark and was letting them die out with that age period, um, pre the flood, or they came onto the ark. But if you notice the, the way that the time starts lessening after the flood, like before the flood, people were living commonly, you know, 700, 800, 900 years. After that, it slowly started dwindling down to the time of Abraham when he lived like 140, 150. And then even lower that. Oh, no, they lived longer before that. So theoretically, what could be is like if you've ever had a reptile as a pet before, like a turtle or a snake or something, they always shed their skin. They, they keep growing forever until they die and they shed their skin. So technically, if a reptile could live for... 800 years, 900 years, they would grow really, really big. You'd have a dinosaur. Yeah. And so probably what happens if, if the specific species of reptile, these dinosaurs, weren't able to live as long, they probably then wouldn't get, eventually they would not be able to get to an age where they'd be big enough to reproduce and eventually die out. So that's one working theory. But the other one would just say that they didn't come on the ark. Could have been just something that God yeah, used to punish the people. Kind, right? Well, see, a kind is even every there doesn't make sense, and it doesn't work in the sense of everything. Because why would why would God have you grab like a trout? Well, well, trout is well, well, and well, when you say kind too, like you wouldn't need, for example, the easy thing with kinds, like it's easy with dogs, like you have German shepherds, golden retrievers, uh, Labradors, beagles, husk, huskies. No, those are abominations. Um, but you don't need to bring 
every time tying a dog onto the ark, you just bring it, one of its kind. So like a coyote or a wolf, and then from there, every other you know subspecies. You're saying my dog was descended from a coyote. That's what you would pick. I don't know. Siberian wolf. Right. Right. So the, so that's why. So Genesis says two of each kind. Yeah, Henry. If God knew that dinosaurs were gonna die off, why did He even make them? For His glory. Not that he knew they would, I mean, he did, of course, know they were going to die off, but it, it's it's hard to put ourselves in the position of God. So his question is, if God knew the dinosaurs were going to die off, die off, why even make them? Well, God knows everything, you know? And so... There's a lot of species that have died off just in the last hundred years. Yeah. Like, they exist up until 1955 or whatever, and they're gone now. Doesn't it... When you think of dinosaurs, you see their bones in a museum. Doesn't it fill you with wonder and like awe? Like, wow, look how cool that is. Or it could point so you to God, God, God to worship him. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> this is a any other, any other expansion on that? No. Okay. Um, what translation of the Bible is the most reliable? <laughs> so, Dang, how many of these we got? I know, so similar. We kind of... Everyone's on my side. kind of went over that already. So again, there's like a spectrum of how close is word to word. You just want to be closer. The reality is that you know the original manuscripts would be obviously be the... That's not a translation. That's the original manuscripts. Those are actually... That's where it is. Hebrew. Every Christian has No, even you don't even have like nobody has an actual original manuscript. We have copies of it, but nobody has the actual originals, which is probably good that we don't because people would probably try to treat it as like holy and like venerate it. Somebody somebody and I can't like I don't have them saved on my phone. Like they only sent me like one or two messages. Mm -hmm. They asked me on Monday night what what I thought was a good translation of the Bible. Yeah. So ESV NASB, King James Version, New King James Version. Those are like the four that I would typically refer to. Right now, I'm studying like solely out of the English Standard Version. I used to, like I said, I started first with the King James Version. Then the church that I was at was using the New King James Version, but I stick, stuck with the KJV. And then I went to the NASB. And then we as a church changed the ESC, so I went to that. Which is really hard changing translations because it's hard to like if you're memorizing scripture in a certain translation and then you change to a new one, it's really hard to like keep that and transfer it over. So that's a good question. What does the Bible say about stress? Okay. The Bible, I don't know if the Bible actually uses the word stress, per se, but it does talk about anxiety, and anxiety is, what do you think, Clint? Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of Christ which passes understanding, or and let, yeah, and let the peace of Christ which passes understanding guard your heart and mind, and 
Christ, what, what verse is that? I'm thinking of Philippians. Yeah, me too. No, it's not four nineteen. Here it is. Yes, Philippians four says, verse six says, "Do not be anxious about anything." So anxiety is like stress, right? I, when you're stressed, you're like you don't know what to do. Um, you you freak out. Like, how is this gonna play out? And so Philippians four six says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you really, if you think about like, if you're stressed out, do you have peace? No, right? It's like the opposite of that. And so... I don't think that's what God gives you, even at a time when you're stressed out and everything's falling down. I mean, that's throughout the last year and everything. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Inconsistency has been. Now, there's another passage that I'm thinking about right now that I'm blanking on. I think, I think it's in Matthew. I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, so in 6.25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, which you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds there. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. For the Gentiles, he means those who aren't seeking God. And so really, you know, when we think about stress, anxiety, there is an aspect of it that is sinful even because it's saying that you're not trusting in the Lord. There's a different kind of anxiety to our anxiousness, we're like, I might be, I'm anxious for, you know, for so and so to come to the Lord. That's like a like a loving, like anticipating sort of anxiety. That's good, but there are that there. That wouldn't really be stress. That wouldn't really be stress, though. Yeah, that's a good yeah. observation. Part of, part of it also is kind of sit back and almost take that step back from your life and wonder, well, what's making me stressed or anxious, and. Is it something that I need to have in my life? Like my schedule is so hectic. Where you have full workload, plus you're going to night school, plus you're in five curricular activities, plus you're doing seven church ministries. Yeah. Like you'd have a stress life. Cut back somewhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you do get stressed or you do become anxious, those are good opportunities, uh, you know, to look to the Lord in prayer. And to, you know, to ask him to help you to sort out uh, the order of your lives. See what's at the root of that anxiety. That's a good question. Let's see.
Okay. Um, is having faith enough to save us? In one way, I want to say yes to that, uh, because by faith you will be saved. But you have to say, what is the uh, what is your faith in? If you, just simply having faith isn't anything special, it, it's having faith in Christ. So the reformers would say, you're saved by faith alone. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You in I did. I did. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Christ is the object of your faith. Your faith would be in the person of Christ, what he has done, the fact that he was you know, born under the law, born miraculous, miraculously, and that he lived a perfect and holy life, and that he never once sinned, and he went to the cross to die there as a substitute to pay the penalty for the sin of everyone who would believe in him. And then he rose, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and then he ascended to heaven. And so if your faith is in that, that's what it takes to be saved. Um, you think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the apostle makes the case even that you know, faith is a gift, and that works have no part in your um, salvation. That's why it was when the question asks, is faith is having faith enough to be saved? Well, in a sense, yes, obviously, because verse eight in Ephesians two, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. So, so yes, faith is enough, but again, it's faith in Christ, not just like the type of faith that everybody has, like you sat down in these chairs and you 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 weren't all cautious and like pressing down on it to make sure it would hold you. You just sat down on it. You had faith that it would hold you. That's different than faith in Christ. You fly on an airplane. You have faith that it won't crash, but it's different than faith in Christ. (laughs) This is a repeat question, so we won't do this one, but it's, it's another question about the types of Bibles. Someone wants to roll it down three separate questions. No, the handwriting looked different on them. So. Were they forged? <laughs> I was going to say three separate questions. What should, I, what should I write? That was when you used like three different kinds of questions. <laughs> okay. It says, is, is believing the same thing as faith? That's a good question. They're, they're very related. Let me see here if I can. <laughs> Believing is not the exact same thing as faith. A faith is is the thing that's not hoped for, is it, that you're not seeing, but it's hoped for. But there's three there's three aspects to faith that most people recognize. There's knowledge, which so again, it's, it's not just faith in something random. It's faith in Christ. There's it's no notia. And then there's assent. When there's a true faith, it's also a conviction that it's true. And there's also uh, confidence, um, which is a personal trust in the matter, fiducia, as it's called in the Latin. And so belief is caught up in there, but it's not exactly the same. Belief, trust, faith, those words are very similar, but they're not exactly the same. There's nuance in it. Yeah. Oh, you're showing me the time. That's a good point. Yeah, where um, 
Yeah. Demons believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but they didn't have faith in him to be forgiven for their sins. So. Well, I'm not going to read this question for one, because I think somebody's just trying to be funny. And they say that I can't change their opinion. <laughs> it's about it's about vaccines, but I'm just gonna let it go. Caleb. That seems like a Caleb question. No. Okay, if. If Satan was an angel before, what caused him to tempt Adam? Pride. The Bible actually doesn't actually say specifically what it was. There are passages in Ezekiel and in Isaiah in which God is pronouncing judgment upon earthly kings, like the king of Tyre. And he talks of that in such a way that a lot of people believe that it's a... um, Parable, not a parable, or a metaphor for for Satan. And so, usually, what most people do is they and they speculate. Um, I'm not sure exactly where. Oh, is this it? No, this is it. I thought it might have been um, Isaiah 37, but it's not it. Uh, a lot of people speculate and say that that when God created Adam in his image and you know mankind was you know then privileged to bear the image of God that that drove Satan to like jealousy and pride he wanted to be, to receive worship but again I was not specifically clear on it and ultimately though the question is why does Satan tempt Adam well, to fulfill God's will, right? Because if Adam was never tempted in the garden, then he never would have, they never would have sinned. And then there never would have been those people who were saved by grace because the second Adam would never then have needed to come. Jesus would never have needed to come. So in, a, in some sense, Satan sinned because it was the plan of God to fulfill uh, in the covenant, covenant of redemption to bring about a people to worship him um, that have to only do so out of mercy and grace. All right, last one. And it's a joke. Why is the memory verse longer than one word? Maybe if I had a, a, a memory verse, maybe if I had a memory verse that was that short. That was it. That was the one Yeah. I, I read a couple other jokes before. So those are good questions, guys. Anything else that come to mind while we have a little bit of time? Is that all Yeah. What about that? How was your day? <laughs> Today was pretty good. Sophie's thing is she's going to need a ultrasound, but we have to get permission from the courts for that. So, All right, well, let's pray, guys, and then we can talk about uh, what to do next.
Father in heaven, to be all glory and honor. And we know that we all need to grow much in our understanding of your world and of what your word says. So we pray that you would give us over to good times of study in it, and that you'd help us to really remember what it is that your word says. Uh, we ask for greater knowledge, Lord, not so that we can be puffed up and filled with pride, but that so we can trust you more and love you more and be ready to give an answer to anyone who might ask us about the hope that we have within us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.